Come in, like who's gonna who's, who's gonna, gonna kick it her? off? Who's gonna start it? But it's... welcome back, girlies. Hi. Charleston, get off my fucking couch. <laughs> We're beefing right now, guys. That's one thing that ain't gonna change from season one to season two. It's my beefs with Chewy. Quite frankly, I feel like I should bring a pet. I have three dogs at home. I'm not bringing any of the little niggas over here. But yes, if I... maybe you know, maybe if it's a girl dog, I feel like he'd enjoy it. My girl dog is aggressive, and then the Ooh. other girl dog I have, like not like angry aggressive, just like what the fuck are we doing here? Who is this? What's going on? She reminds me of like a skittish white woman in the hood clutching her purse. Ooh. Yeah. You know, Charleston loves toxic shit. He reminds me of just you know. <laughs> A white man that is, you know, going for what he wants, regardless of what, you know, the people are How telling him. So. anybody else? Yep. So, I feel like, you know, she may be just the one to put him in line, because he does, I feel like he's into the dominatrix kind of subordinate thing. Like, I feel like the female dogs that I've seen him with are very much like, raw, and he likes that, so. Maybe that's just what female dogs are. Maybe mm, that's what the term bitch comes <laughs> That's why they call them bitches, because female dogs are really aggressive. Yes. Like, my two girl dogs be jumping that little boy, and I be feeling bad, because I have the mom, and then I have her son and her daughter. And the daughter and the mom be jumping the son, and I be like, y'all just gonna beat this little boy up? Like, they have pushed him. I remember, y'all, this one time, that the mother pushed him off the bed, and the daughter was on the floor ready to pounce on him after. I said, not y'all to tag team him like this. You know, and you would think that when you have, when your pets have their children, that they will become adults and that no. they'll raise them kids. They no. like, mm, this is my brother and sister. These are just <laughs> my friends. I'm just the oldest one out the pack. You know, I'm just the one telling bitches what to do, and they really do not take on that full responsibility of becoming a parent. So, Charleston, I am glad that he's spayed and, you know, tied <laughs> up because we're not dealing with it. And because I, too, I believe that. You know, I feel like I would have a difficult time giving away his children. So I feel like I would have to have him raise them. And, you know, it'd be just my fucking luck. He comes out with like eight puppies and I'm out here fucking running a shelter now, you know? So my dog had seven pups. And it was so hard not to connect with them because they were all so cute when they were newborns. And it was so hard not to like really bond because my dad was like, we're selling them. And I'm like, you can't. And then it got to the point where we, like, got rid of all of them except for three babies. And the third one, I fell in love with. I absolutely adored him. And I was just like, well, we can't sell him. If we were going to sell him, it would have been sold by now. He's not sold. I guess we got three dogs now. We got four dogs now, whatever. And literally, the day I had my graduation party, these people came up over to set up some shit for my graduation party from college. And they saw him and they were like, oh, we love him. And my parents were like, well, we're selling him. I'm like, no, we're not. We're fucking not. Not at my graduation party. And y'all know that this is my favorite dog. Oh, I was so hurt. What are y'all hurt. wrong with me? I was so hurt that day. I have, ooh, we. Oh. Moral of the story, never let your dogs have kids because you'll never know how to recover from having to get rid of the puppies. Very much so. <laughs> you know, so, but, but we're here. We're back again. Episode and episode two. 
Checking in. Lena B, what's going on with your girl? What is going on? So, if y'all listened in the first episode, I was talking about how I'm going through some really difficult mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. And that has really been what I'm just dealing with. Um, I missed a whole week of, like, the first week of in-person classes. I called out of work. I was, I y'all, it got so bad. I had a panic attack at work. Like, mm. literally sitting at lunch and had to go to the bathroom because I couldn't breathe. Called my mother. My mom was like, who, where are you? I will call your boss right now. Tell him that you need to come home. I was like, no, you're not doing that. And she was like, why not? I was like, because that's embarrassing. And she was like, you are literally having an anxiety attack right now on the phone. I was like, I don't know. Don't tell mm-hmm. anybody I'm doing this. But she convinced me to tell the, tell my boss that I need to go home. My boss was completely understanding, which I appreciate to this day day i love you thank you so much she let me go home my sister picked me up because i could not drive i was shaking i could not it was bad and basically my family forced me to seek help and i am now taking steps to prioritize my mental health and i think i always tell people like you know go to therapy get medication do what you need to do to make yourself the best you you can be until it comes to me and having that break at work like that literal just I was sitting there I was trying to do some homework I didn't have a textbook and that was enough to set me off and that just saying it out loud now like that in itself should not be that big of a deal for anybody oh you have a textbook okay fine life goes on but that shit shut my world down and now I'm like, my doctor was like, you need to, like, scale back at work. Like, you need to, like, take several steps back. So, um, I took her advice. I, she's recommended, I go see, I seek counseling. I'm, I don't want to say I'm going to do it, because I've been putting it off. That was, like, a week ago, and I have yet to call the number that she gave me. <laughs> So maybe I'll do it, but I'm at least staying up on my meds and making sure that I'm monitoring myself. If I ever feel like I'm having like too much going on, I take just a step back and I breathe and I'm just doing more, um, to prioritize my mental health. And I don't feel like, I don't want to overshare with y'all or nothing, but Mm -hmm. just, I am scared. Like I have been battling with depression and anxiety since like I was like 16 I think and I've talked about this before like if you listen to the God episode and I talked about how um how I feel like I came to understand who God was for me mm-hmm. this is all kind of like this is what I was dealing with but this time I have God <laughs> and it was still terrifying it is very weird it's a weird space to be in where you like you're a person that advocate. It would be different if I didn't believe in like help, or if I just mm. like, oh no, like the world is like you just gotta pray it away, or whatever. But but I believe in medicine. I believe in help. I believe in people using resources to find Very much a so. better version of themselves. And I feel like if you have anything that you deal with, whether it's anxiety, whether it's just having a lot of life shit happening and you don't know how mm. to handle it. I always advocate for seeking help, but when it came to me, I did not give myself the space to do that. And I think having a breakdown at work was a sign that I 
unfortunately needed to have to let me know that I am going through a lot of shit right now and I need to put myself first. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm, oh, mm, mm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not okay, but I am pushing past the feeling of just wanting to be in my bed every day, which is very hard because it's my bed is very comfortable. I love mm. my bed, and it's very easy to just get like sucked into like a TikTok spiral and just Ugh. never, <laughs> never move, like except like to turn over. I don't know what the fuck TikTok <laughs> is doing, but now they're long as fuck. Like they're six minutes. I think you like you can go as long as possible or whatever. And I don't. Not gonna do it, guys. It's it's too much and I catch myself getting into like TikTok dark holes or whatever and it'll just be I'll like I'll look up and it's like mm-hmm. half my day is gone because I've been sitting oh, on my do phone it. all day but I'm forcing myself to get up every morning before 12 uh, even if it's like an off day I'll get up before 12 I'll shower cause I usually I'm an evening shower person but I've been forcing myself to have shower in the mornings um, twice a day if I had have like school or something. I'm oversharing. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the, the routine. I'm just, but I'm pushing. I'm pushing myself to stay in the routine. I make sure I eat every day, not just having a coffee, but like having like a breakfast sandwich or something. Like I'm doing things that are forcing me to demonstrate that I care about myself to mm-hmm. myself. And I didn't realize until I pushed myself into this routine how much I did not treat myself correctly. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a TikTok by a therapist who was talking about the different versions of self-harm or self-sabotage. And she was like, self-harm isn't always physically like cutting or hurting yourself. Sometimes it's overspending. Sometimes it's, you know, calling out of work and avoiding our responsibilities and tasks. Sometimes it's putting off things that you know you need to do mm-hmm. because you just don't feel like it. So when she kind of laid out, what other versions of self-harm look like. I was like, well, damn, bitch, you are not taking care of yourself. So I'm making sure that I'm trying I'm trying to take care of me because I want to, I want to be here and I want to have not just longevity in life, but I want to, I want to have a quality life. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to make sure that I'm doing things to make that happen. How are you? Yes. First of all, thank you for sharing. Because that, like you said, that was deep. And, you know, like, I feel like it does. Like, I feel like when we talk about these things, because, um, again, I'll say a testimony is I feel like the greatest thing in the world. Because a lot of us be going through the same exact shit and mm-hmm. we just be feeling alone. And when you hear people talk about shit that you've gone through or that you've been through, it kind of, you know, helps you feel a little bit better. And it gives you, you know, some tools that you can put in your toolbox um, so definitely thank you for sharing. Um, and as for me, um, I've been doing really, really well lately, um, mentally like on a high, um, so much even so to the point, like, I feel like I've in these past couple of days, I've kind of spiraled down a little bit because a lot of my friends and a lot of people around me are going through a lot of stuff and this is one of the kind of first times because I feel like I've, you know, struggled with depression and everything for, hell, years, just like long, like longevity, like to one point that, you know, when I was seeing a therapist, she had even told me that um, about this 
uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a chronic version of depression where it lasts for like, it can last anywhere from, you know, like a couple of weeks to like a couple of years where you're just, you know, yes, not seasonal, but just like in a, like it's an actual disorder. Well, I guess seasonal depression is a disorder, but, um, there's an actual term for it where you just have like these long, um, Jeffy, which we'll get into it um, a little bit later in the podcast when we get into our review. Um, the Marcus from Jenny and Georgia, like kind of a vibe oh. like that where, you know, your personality just snap changes, changes and you really can't figure it out and stuff. And so um, I feel like I've been I've like I said, I've been doing really good because right before the year was over, I had this realization moment where I, you know, I either I wanted to die or I wanted to live and, you know, with a knife in my hand, like I'm sitting there like, oh, bitch, yeah, we can't do this. We want to live. And so I told myself, you know, if I want to live, then I have to actively fight for this life. And ever since then, it's been really good. And um, I've been fasting. Um, I fasted a few times. Right now, I'm with Alfred Street uh, Baptist Church. If you want to look them up, it's again, it's Alfred Street Baptist Church with Pastor Howard Wesley John, um, and it's in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, a very historical church, a very phenomenal pastor. Um, he's his teachings are great. The church is great. I love looking at them um, every week online. Hell, they even do a Saturday service, I guess, for the people who can't Ooh. get up on Sunday mornings. Just can't do it. Um, yeah. But, like, he, they, he, he's a really great pastor. They're a really great church, and they have a beautiful devotional book for this 40-day fast, which, y'all, the 40-day fast, I'm not even going to lie, it was very difficult for me um, because... With eating, um, I had cut out a lot of foods, you know, sugar, meat, and all of this to do the Daniels fast. And again, I'm working out a lot. I'm, you know, having this good time. And y'all, it's a 40-day fast, but around day 20, you know, really around day like 15, like stomach pains, out the ass, crazy, just like not eating enough food. Like I can't move. I can't, you know, really do anything. And so, yes. And so I had to cut the fast short and what I'm realizing at first, you know, when I used to get into fast and I would cut them short or I would, you know, opt out, I always beat myself up about it. And like, how dare you, you know, go back to this food and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't give God your, you know, time and your attention, you know, for umpteen days, you know, and you putting a chicken sandwich above God. And now, you know, I've gotten into this space and, you know, the fast is really, um, taught me, you know, that first and foremost, God is not, you know, if you ever get to a point where you feel like God is just talking down to you or God is going to belittle you or God is going to hate you or he's not going to love you anymore because you couldn't keep up with this fast, like, we're all imperfect. Mm -hmm. Like none of us are, you know, going to do anything, you know, greater than what God has done. And so, you know, fasting is not about me trying to stick to this diet and lose weight or make it to the end of the goal. Fasting is about getting closer to God. And I feel like even though, you know, I was only able to make it to 21 days. um, That's half the fast. Look, you really did that. It's really half. And you know, it, 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 it was a testimony because some of the things 
that I was doing, like, I love TV. I watch a lot of TV. I'm watching TV all day long. And one of the things in the fast was that I could only watch five hours of TV a day. Ooh. Girl, it was hard. And when, you know, you cutting the TV off and now I'm trying to figure out what the fuck am I going to do with the rest of my morning because I know I'm going to be sitting up, you know, at 10 o'clock with nothing to do. So I'm trying to save, you know, my hours for then. So what do I do in the morning? Y'all I've gotten hooked on to a bunch of Ted talks. I've done a lot of research about a lot of different things, you know, spiritual things and black things. And, um, it really took me to a place where, you know, I was removing myself from those distractions and allowing myself to really get into this space. What I've been praying for, you know, where I'm, you know, trying to figure out what career I want to have next, what I want to do with my life. And so, you know, it, it was really, I want to say, like a change in this time with this fast. And again, having my um, one of my best friends do the fast with me was so rewarding. And being able to talk to her about her, you know, fast and what she's been going through and what she's been doing was very enlightening. Um, and honestly, it's just it. So it shows me so much improvement to know that you know, not making it all the way to the end didn't destroy me. It didn't destroy my faith in God. And one of the things that I feel like I really realized during this time of my faith is to give God grace. I feel like when we think of grace, we think of giving it to people um, because they've fallen short for something or because they didn't measure up or because, you know, they didn't, you know, do something that they were supposed to get done. And so you giving them grace for it. But when we think about God and we think about how we feel sometimes he's absent from our lives or I've prayed all day long. So why haven't you changed my circumstances or my situation? The expectation that we have on this, you know, spiritual being who, you know, we're just supposed to have faith in. Faith in itself is just something that you can't see. You know, believing in the unknown. And, you know, we have these expectations, you know, that... First of all, the, I feel like they're like reverse expectations because we think that he has these expectations for us and that we're supposed to be perfect. And then we are expecting him to, you know, be perfect in exchange. Like yes. this is some sort of exchange. But you have to give God grace when you go through something, you curse him out, you don't pray, you don't do what you're supposed to do. And, you know, because we get into those depressive states and we get into, you know, things where we kind of fall into a hole and we don't trust God anymore. Um and we talk about how he hasn't been there for us, but then once it the situation changes and it comes into we fruition, we back and to praying for him. Give him grace. When you think he's not there, he's working something behind the scenes. When you think he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, he's working on stuff. And honestly, during this fast and just some of my friends, like one of my friends, she's um, really gotten into like preaching at her church and stuff. And it's just so beautiful. And a lot of times, like I feel like with me removing TV away from me and removing, you know, the food distractions and, you know, just removing a lot of stuff out of my life. I've been looking around and I've been taking notice of a lot of the grand things that my friends have been doing. And, you know, when I talk to them, a lot of them are talking about their depressive states and they're talking about things that are not going right in their life. But when I think about y'all careers are fucking blossoming, my friends are really doing shit with their lives. My cohort, we're about to be master students, you know, like oh we're about to have a fucking master's degree and we're about to be young black 
even more educated, you know, like, again, you know, my friend who's, who's preaching, my friend who, you know, started her own business to the point where people are asking for her help, you know, just seeing how, you know, my friends are growing within their lives and, you know, not even witnessing it or knowing it. Like you said, I'm, I feel like I'm going on a tangent now, but, <laughs> you know, just really, you know, I, I really believe in um, if you have the ability to fast, whether it's for a couple of days make sure it's intentional where you're not fasting on food because you want to lose weight or because of that's how people fast. You fast and you take away something that's important with you. And when you take that away, you use that time to get closer to God or, you know, to just, you know, pray and do more things. And so be intentional about shit, you know, and just love yourself, love God, and definitely get the help that y'all need. Um, Ask for help because, you know, shit's going to get hard and you cannot do it by yourself. Every time that I've, you know, healed or I've, you know, gotten better, it's been because of the help of my therapist, because of my mentor, because of my family, because of my friends. You know, I had to do the work myself, but a lot of people pointed me in a lot of right directions. A lot of people encouraged me on my journey. A lot of people, you know, picked me up when I wasn't able to pick myself up. So support is everything and getting the help that y'all need because in 2023, 2024, 2025, we no longer want to be mentally unstable. We no longer want to be in toxic situations. We are setting boundaries. We are loving ourselves and we are pushing forward because if you want to be here every day, you got to fight for that shit. It's not going to be easy, but you got to do what you got to do, girl. Well, let me just go ahead and end the podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) We getting deep on episode two, girl. Oh, because, Life. Y'all. Life, life, life. life. And I say all that, because when you're talking, I'm just, it's hard to not reflect when people are talking about things that you're, like, currently in. Mm -hmm. And not that this is that episode, because this is not that episode. It's not. But... (laughs) One thing I will, because I'm trying to work on loving myself mm-hmm. out loud. One thing I will commend myself for in the process of all this shit going not what I would hope it would, how it would be. I have not been mad at God. Like, I take full responsibility for where I'm at right now. Yes. I don't know what I'm doing wrong or what I could be doing better, but I know it's not God. And I keep praying in the midst of it. And I think like you said, just having that connection and trying to make sure that it doesn't get tainted in the process of trying to get through your recovery or just, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It is very hard to sometimes wake up and be like, Oh, today's going to be a great day because God said so. But sometimes even just saying that I used to tell myself, like, if you just lie, if you just lie to yourself and say, you're, say you're going to be okay, say it's going to be fine until one day it just is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Y'all. Yes. I'm sorry. Let me not. Okay. No, go ahead, girl. No, because I'm trying not to. I don't want to cry. I'm so sick of crying. I'm so sick of being like emotional about shit. I just. But you have to let those emotions. Because that's the thing. Like, I feel like we. um, I feel like there's this, you know, thing of where we can't be emotional and we can't have feelings about things and we can't and we got to bottle it up and we got to do this and we got to do that. You have to allow yourself to experience emotions. When you try to hold that shit in, you are lying to yourself. Your body understands that you're lying to yourself and your body, the reason that you're getting more and more frustrated is because your body is just rejecting, you know, this narrative that like this ain't a big deal. I shouldn't be mad about this. I shouldn't be. No, this is the feeling that I felt. 
and I naturally felt it, so I'm going to feel it. Now, the the one thing that I would say is sometimes when you're feeling those feelings, you either have to feel them in private, you know, because it's so deep and it's so, you know, personal that you may not want to, you know, share it with the, the people that you are around at the time. But sometimes, you know, you have to feel those feelings with people so that you can get the validation that you deserve and that you can understand that shit is going to be okay. That's why I say, you know, like, my three best friends that I have, I've gotten to the point where at first, because at first, like, you know, like I was very cautious about certain things that I told people or, you know, like I didn't want to bring people into my depression or say, for instance, you know, I'm in a suicidal moment. You don't want to tell people that because then people going to be on your ass. They're going to be checking sure. on you. They're going to, you know, be up on you until the point where and then they're going to be worried about you and you don't want people to be worried about you and stuff like that but I've gotten to a point that when shit is beyond me God has given me these relationships with my best friends where I can trust them and I could let them bitches know and they have been there for me every single time like you've been saying a lot of times we be like oh we don't want to let our friends down and we don't want to say we can't do these obligations and we can't do this you know but when you finally let them know like hey I'm sorry I'm just I'm really going through life is kicking my ass they're usually you know understanding about it and they and they know and so it's just like you know time and time again surround yourself around people that when you're falling down and you crawl to them and you go to them you know you know that you can trust them and you know that you can be you know loved and cared for and that you can get help through your situations because I feel like a lot of us don't do that because we've had a lot of situations where people have fucked us over and we you know thought that we can trust people fuck what people think about you (laughs) your worst moment never defines you the it, it does not it and if, if anything it only shows your progression because your best moment in comparison is going to show that distance between where you were and where you've come never be ashamed of shit that you've been through shit that people did to you shit that you did to yourself because we've all made bad decisions some of them we only could tell god and we can't <laughs> share them with other people you know because you know, it, for whatever reasons that it is, but you get into, like Lena B said, get into forgiveness, get into loving yourself, get into getting in a relationship with God where you are never upset with him because he's never the issue. He's always trying to help. He's always, he is about love. If you, you know, cause I even thought of God as, you know, this tyrant, I've said it a few times in the beginning of the Bible, he kind of rough on them and he kind of, you know, tough on them. He's not, life is. Life is, and God never promises us this, you know, gorgeous life if we do X, Y, Z. He promises life abundantly, and that encompasses a bunch of shit. So you have to just get with it, and you have to, if you want to live, you have to make that decision that your life is going to be good. Shit's going to knock you down. Shit's going to try to get in your way, and all you have to do is continue to pray through them and continue to go through them. Will you fall short? Will you have bad days? Absolutely. Lean on your support system because that's what the fuck they are there for. You can't keep complaining that people keep using you and leaning on you when you don't want to lean on them. Do what you got to do. I will say to your point, and I guess we'll segue. Because <laughs> this goes right so got him so real quick. Okay. But there is a part of scripture. Don't ask me because I'm not good with the chapter and the verse. But you know where it is, where it says all things work together for the good for those that are loved. Or those that love the Lord and are caught according to his purpose. And 
I was listening to a pastor that talked about how when we hear that scripture, because that's, that's something I think everybody's heard, all things work together for the good. We've mm-hmm. all heard that. But I think when people hear all things work together, we often think that it's all the good things in life. Mm-hmm. All the all the high points in life, all the mountaintop points in life are what works together for the good. But in reality, it's the low moments too. And it's the moments where you think that you're never going to come back from it or you think that it's all bad and it's just, it's all a darkness. And those part those parts too, it's all things. It's not just the getting the new job. It's not just getting the new house or getting the good grades. It's also failing. It's also, you know, trying to figure out where that next check is going to come from to make sure you pay your rent on time. It's also making time to understand how come I, I did lose that job. How come I don't have these friends? How come I am not in this, these relationships and these connections that I want to have? It's all things. And I feel like when we, when we start to talk about how God works in mysterious ways, like you said, he's working in the background we don't take into consideration that part of that background work is the failure. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to always be the successful moments that we can give credit to God for. Sometimes it's also how he pulled us out of the the dark when we did not have a way out. And all things, y'all. It's I just- lost my job. Best shit that ever happened to me. God provided for me so deeply and so hard. And you would think losing your job, not knowing where your next money going to come from, not knowing how you're going to pay your rent. I I was all the way there. And the people around you, your support system that you want to lean on for real this time, broke ass ain't got no money either. (laughs) And it's Christmas time and we all out here struggling. God was working. God was doing exactly what he needed to do. And every time I doubted him, it made the situation worse. It made the situation worse. And the places where he could have probably fixed things was me doubting him, was me putting negative energy into it. And when I finally let go and I said, God, do what you got to do, everything changed. Did it it change in an instant? For me, it did. Because those were things that were already in the progress working, in the process working, you know. And so... You'll get there. All I'm saying is trust God. It is hard to trust him. It is okay to curse at him. It is okay to be, you know, furious and ask him a lot of questions and to see what the fuck is going on. But once you finish that conversation with him, you tell him you love him. You tell him thank you for loving you and thank you for keeping you alive and ask him to push you forward. And with that being said, girlies, get y'all shit together and we're going to push forward and pop into pop culture. Oh, not pop into pop culture. Let's pop into some pop culture, girl. Oh, we love that. So number one, pop culture, we already know talking about the broke best friend. That is yourself. Mm. Beyonce is coming for your fucking wallet because she just dropped the first set of tour dates for the Renaissance tour, bitch. And when I tell you that this woman has not toured since, Lemonade, which is crazy because Lemonade it's just like, girl, it seems COVID just made us lose years. We can't count that between COVID and then the last official, like, excluding the Dubai. If y'all saw the clips of like her performing at the opening, oh, you must not. We were internet. not supposed to you don't even have see internet. that. <laughs> that was a closed performance, and we saw that shit. But I think Coachella was like her last like big stage mm, situation. Yes. So. Beyonce's on tour again, and when I tell you I come hell or high water, I'm getting in that show. I don't care if I have to break in. I'm going to go see Beyonce. <laughs> Not you getting a security job. Oh, <laughs> you know what? You know what? I might as well. I, 
I have worked at a restaurant before. I have some experience. They got bars. I they feel need like a everybody's trying to get on that shift that day. I can work. <laughs> I, can, I can come in. <laughs> Schedule me. But Please. you know. But yeah, no. It's absolutely hilarious. And the thing about it is. Sorry, y'all. My nose is running. Um, the thing about it is. Um, she released not pre-sale tickets, but pre-reservations for tickets. And the Ticketmaster said that I think they have over exceeded the amount of ticket requests by like eight hundred percent or something like that. Like they're gonna basically they're gonna be thirty times more people wanting tickets than people actually have or the ticket availability for her US tour. It's a US and European tour. And I'm just, I'm sick. I'm literally sick. Because I love Beyonce. And I, I don't think she's going to, I think this, probably, this is either her last two or she has one more in her. She's done. You know, I, Beyonce is great. And I do enjoy me some She's amazing. Bee, but um, I absolutely positively will not be in attendance for this motherfucking concert. I am too deep of an introvert and not enough of a music lover. Although I love her catalog and you can find me definitely bumping the fuck out of a Sasha Fierce album any day of the week. Beyonce concerts, I think, would just be too much for me. I would be terrified and I'd be scared. I If y'all saw the fucking documentary... um for Travis Scott and how his concerts be going and shit. That's the kind of fear level that I'm seeing at a Beyonce concert with the girls are just, you know, losing their minds, losing their minds trying to get to her. So I don't know, you know, my first steps really is going to this Ari Lennox concert, which I'm still excited about. Um, and I feel like it's just going to be a chill vibe, but girl, the fact that these tickets they're saying are like $500, $700, $1,000 for the nosebleeds. Now, that's the part that I'm not a fan of. Um, I think that people are talking about a lot more now how concerts are becoming a luxury experience mm-hmm. because there's no way that our parents were going to like go see like Michael Jackson, for example, and they were going to pay $500 for a nosebleed seat. Look. They probably were on the floor. They probably was up. The, they were in the mirror. Fuck the man. They were the mirror. <laughs> At that point, because we all knew Korea, because <laughs> between that and remember the time, I guess that. But they, they, they didn't, they didn't pay these prices, and I get that it's times are hard, things are tough, but and break myself. You have to say, release your job, and some of y'all listen, so some of you will not. My be job listening. <laughs> Some of y'all would not be making it. I will be making it. But you know it's tax it season. And, oh. She released them right on time. It's tax season. So all oh y'all my. niggas who thought that y'all was about to get y'all baby mama's taxes this and y'all thought y'all was running up and y'all was finna finally get that Xbox, that PlayStation, girl, she's gonna see B. And the thing about it, I told my boyfriend, I was like, you don't have to get me a birthday gift. You don't have to give me a graduation gift. Just give me Beyonce tickets. You don't even gotta come. You don't even have to come. You don't have to do <laughs> shit. Just give it a and he Look. looked me in my face. This man said, I would rather pay for a cruise than pay for Beyonce. I said, why the fuck? It's Beyonce. He said, I don't care. And I I am still deciphering whether or not I should break up with him. Not really. But Man. just like, it's that serious. I am, in, I am that in love with this woman. And I'm so happy she dropped these tour dates. And as a little, actually, no, I'm not going to give you a tip because I'm not going to make it easier for y'all to get a ticket over me. So fuck you. If you don't get a ticket, it's my ticket. And that's, 
Period. It's a Charlie and chocolate. It's a Charlie and the chocolate factory kind of world. You don't get the golden ticket. You don't get one, bitch. Very much so. The only thing I've heard, girlies, is that um, when you are buying really, really expensive tickets like this, possibly look at going to see her concert in another country. Why would you tell them? Ooh. Because that was no. the <laughs> Not like to be saw that video as well. Yes. Never mind. We're going to rewind. We're going to cut it out. And you girlies just got to fight for your lives. First come, first serve. As they say... <laughs> In the Hunger Games, may the odds be ever in your favor, girlies. Oh, moving on to the next one. <laughs> Let's go give it away like that. <laughs> for, the, for the free. Oh, they got to pay for that. That's on the Patreon. Mm. <laughs> A moment in black history. Because we are still in Black History Month. And I understand that some of you might not actually care, but we do. Period. So we're going to talk about a few notable things that happened around this time in black history. So mm. this around this time, actually, no, specifically February 3rd, 1920, the Negro Baseball League was established. If you know anything about the NL or the MLB, the Major League Baseball Association, Major League Baseball. If you know anything about Major League Baseball, it was not integrated at the time of of the founding of the Negro Baseball League. But because Negro, I feel like it's wrong to say Negro. Mm. Black niggas was playing better. (laughs) Black men were playing better than Major League players. So they decided to integrate the actual MLB in order to allow those black players to have a chance to play on a professional level. With people, notably Jackie Robinson being one of the first black players in a MLB team, because had they not, Negro baseball, the Negro Baseball League would have been better as a whole over the whole entire MLB. So it had nothing to do with talent, had nothing to do with trying to make everything equal and making people all, let's all believe in black people and black people getting along. It was just because niggas was better and they didn't want people to find out that niggas was better. So they said, let's bring them all together. So, that's one of the most notable things that I want to bring up. Also, the second thing that I want to talk about is that at this time, in 1956, University of Alabama had its first black student enrolled and attend. Now, if you heard that year correctly, 1956, University of Alabama is eons old. Old as hell. Old as dirt. Old as that wrinkle on that white man neck. Ooh. That is an old ass school. And you mean to tell me that in 1956, some of y'all grandparents were born in 1950. Some of y'all parents are older than 1956. And University of Alabama just had their first black student. Get that shit out of here. I'm so mm. sick. I'm so sick of looking back at black history and being like, oh my God, all these. Like, don't get me wrong. Credit where credit is due. Black people have been breaking boundaries and destroying barriers since the beginning of time. But it breaks my heart whenever I go back and do these research assignments or topics or just looking at black history. And it's like, oh, this amazing thing happened in 19, you know, 1980. And you're like, Oh, that was so long ago. Till you think about it in reality, my parents were alive in the 80s. Okay. My parents were, my dad was born like two years. No, no, I'm sorry. He was born in 52. The Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965. Do y'all not like the history of black people is not so far away how they make it seem like we're just not 
oh, that happened like 400 years ago, slavery, and that was the end of it. The ramifications of slavery, the ramifications of racism have been ringing through the entire, all of our histories to the point that we had our first black president in 2008. And as beautiful and as amazing as that was, the fact that it, we are still first. There are still firsts happening across the nation and across the world when it comes to black people. And I feel like we don't talk about that enough. Very much not. Like, there is no first white woman to be in NASA. There is no first, like, today, today. Right. There is no first white woman to be a news anchor. There is no, like, they, they have done these things. And we're just now getting to catching up to things that they've been doing for generations and they don't see it as a problem. And that's where you understand the difference between equity and equality. Thank you. Equality is, yes, black people are being able to do these things now, but equity is we should not be the first black person in 2023 to be doing it. And we shouldn't be the last person for another five years to be in that position until y'all want to bring the second black person to do the same thing. Exactly, girlies. Uh, And our last notable moment in black history, which to me really struck a chord when I read it because if you hear it and you understand how delusionally racist this is, I'll explain. So, on February 3rd, uh, 1981, the U.S. Air Force Academy dropped its ban on sickle cell trait. I don't know if you all understand the history behind sickle cell as it stands. Um, sickle cell historically is actually a trait that occurred mostly in black people that if we were still on the continent of Africa helped us fight a lot of diseases. The sickling of the cell, the curvature of your cell structure actually helped us fight a lot of diseases that were native to the African continent. When mm. they brought us over here to America where a lot of those same diseases and issues were not affecting us, instead of it being a benefit, it became a cancer. Sickle cell cancer. The sickle cell trait is very predominant, specifically in black men, which is how it's passed down from generation to generation. Most black people have sickle cell, either have the trait for it or have a person in their family who suffered from it mm-hmm. because the trait is that prominent in us. So for the U.S. Air Force Academy to wait till 1981 to decriminalize something that we could not control, the literal cells of our bodies, and then say, oh... You can come here now. That is fucking racist. Like, yeah, wow. I I feel like I sound like a child. Like, that's racist. <laughs> but, like, do you know how, like, how twisted in the head you have to be to not be like, oh, if you're black, you can't be here. It's not, oh, for colors only type of... It's some, oh, no, you got the sickle cell trade, babe. You can't come in here. And then you can't outright say, oh, it's racism because people have sickle cell. It just happens mm-hmm. to affect black people at a disproportionately crazy amount. And that to me is just another moment in black history that rate that re ignites my passion for trying to find better solutions for getting black people into doors, especially in the healthcare industry, because black women are affected by things like birthing. They have a higher mortality rate than white women when it comes to having birth or giving birth and having children. Just the health industry is fucked. It's fucking fucked. And this Black History Month, we need to work on that. Very much so. And that's, oh, y'all. When I tell you, ooh, it just hurts. It just hurts my heart. It hurts my heart. And it hurts my heart even more to talk about this. The real fucking housewives of Potomac. Mm. Now, if you know anything about the real housewives franchises, you know that they're predominantly a white-centered franchise. They have two all black franchises, which is Real Housewives of Atlanta 
and the Real Housewives of the Potomac, or majority black, because they had that one white lady for a minute in Atlanta. Kim, you know mm. what I'm talking about. So, the Real Housewives of the Potomac just wrapped their eighth season, and they are filming currently their reunion special, but one of the actual housewives, Robin Dixon, has been has found herself in a controversy because... She on the show was notable for always being in other people's business, like mm-hmm. just being super nosy, always trying to call people out, hyper, like not uh, quote unquote call people out for their shit. But whenever she was addressed about her ex husband turned boyfriend turned fiance slash father of her children living with her and getting engaged, but no wedding date actually being set, um, she basically would pawn it off as like a oh y'all just angry and y'all just jealous and hateful and spiteful whatever. Cool. Now, it's coming out recently because she and another cast member, Giselle Bryant, have a podcast called Reasonably Shady. She released recently, after an entire season of declining and denying that her husband or her fiancé was cheating on her and had all these additional scandals surrounding him and their relationship, now comes out and says, oh, we actually did have a moment where he was cheating on me. And this woman on Instagram allegedly, because you have to use that word now all of a sudden, allegedly was interacting with the fiance and behind her back on social media and she found out and she already handled it, which is why they're now married. My issue with this is, Robin Dixon, you were a bully to all of your castmates, specifically Wendy Acefo and Candace Bassett, Candace Dillard Bassett, about their relationships and their marriages regarding their husbands, accusing them of both being sexual predators and attempting to be creepy, just overall creepy towards additional castmates. But when things like this are addressed, all of a sudden you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to think about it. It's just not for the TV to be, it's not for the TV. It's not for the show. But then when you turn around and get on your own podcast, you admit that the quote-unquote lies that the castmates were spouting about you were actually truths. But then you don't want to own to the lies that you were talking about their husbands. And that, to me, just bothers me. Isn't she the one whose husband was in that scandal with them boys? Yes. Now, this is the additional scandal. Her husband, Juan Dixon, is the assistant coach at, not Syracuse, Oh, I can't think of the yeah, name I of the school. Yeah, I can't think of the, call, the, the school either. But basically, the coach, the head coach was catfishing one of the players and getting him to send illicit pictures and having a text, a text flirty relationship, whatever, and then use those pictures and those conversations as blackmail on the student. The student then reported the information to Juan Dixon, and allegedly Juan Dixon did nothing with that information. So, overall, you married a bad man, sweetheart. And it just hurts my heart because, quite frankly, I don't understand how come these women who you got to sit and assault for an entire season of a show verbally, you threatened physical harm on these women, you said that some of these women getting assaulted was physically assaulted was actually okay because we all have our bad days too. You had all these things to say. 
when the man that you're laying next to every night, A, doesn't want to be with you because he said if y'all never had kids, y'all wouldn't even be together. So mm. that's number one. Number two, part of my issue with you, Robin Dixon, is the fact that you knew that this man had cheated on you and he did his dirt and people do their dirt. That's nobody's business. But you want to go out on a rampage and attack the marriages of women that are trying their best to just become somebody in this world. But then the second that they call you on your actual bullshit, not made up, not fantasized, not fabricated, but actual bullshit, you accuse them of being liars and being haters and being manipulative little bitches. Now you come on your show, all of a sudden you want to tell the truth about how your husband actually did cheat on you. Sweetheart, you're not only a hypocrite, but you're a bitch. Ooh. And I mean that. I concur. Because only a bitch would sit there and hide behind the lies and the fallacies of other women's husbands being creeps and being potential predators on their friends. Because who the fuck, first of all, who accuses a man of being a creep or overstepping boundaries or just being weird overall or giving weird gestures or weird intentions or he had a weird vibe? Why would you accuse a black man and a white man of that, knowing full well that that's not even the truth, but then when your husband gets caught out on his actual bullshit, shit that's actually harming other people, all of a sudden you don't want to talk about it. You want to go silent. I hope you lose your job. I hope I hope Bravo fires the fuck out of you. And if they don't, I hope when they bring you back next season, you're a friend of the show. You don't deserve an actual whatever the fuck Potomac gets. It's not a peach. You don't deserve that placement. You're boring as fuck. Your storyline is trash. And the mm. only thing that's interesting about you is the fact that the man that you're sleeping with is now being investigated for potentially, uh, what is it called when you, when you get rid of evidence in the investigation, it's a tampering, word. tampering with evidence, Go ahead. potentially ruining the life of a young man that could have been doing great things and playing a sport that he probably no longer loves because of men like your husband who don't want to put predators in their place. So congratulations, ma'am. You're a bitch, and you married a bitch. I am not a fan of the Real Housewives franchise or reality TV um, much of any way, but (laughs) girly, the fact that we have not even heard you, you know, speak up or say that you no longer fuck with this man who has been abusing and, you know, being predatory to children and or young adults or anybody in this world in general, like, is just befuddling to me. So And she has two goodbye. sons. Goodbye. Exactly. If he was doing that to them, what do you think he's doing to your children? That's fucking shit. Protect your kids. Please. Stop fucking being weird. I don't know. Moving on. <laughs> in the in the vein of protection <laughs> or people that are supposed to be protecting and serving, Atlanta. This one's for fucking you. What the fuck are y'all doing with the tax dollars of the people in the city of Atlanta? Cop city? Mm. Cop fucking city. On the heels of the murder of Tyree Nichols. Cop city is what y'all are, y'all are pushing down the throats of the citizens of Atlanta. And if you don't know, let me read you a quick article. Go ahead. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens announced Tuesday, Tuesday, uh, this was an article written February 2nd. So he announces Tuesday that a proposed $90 million in police training will be put towards a facility known as Cop City, despite growing opposition and the police killing a forest defender. So basically... One of the largest forests or na- natural preservations in Georgia that actually is like, apparently helping a lot of the oxygen appear 
And if y'all knew, trees provide off uh, oxygen, oxygen and that's how we're breathing. If y'all didn't know, well, there's your lesson for the day. But basically, Georgia has one of the larger larger preservations, specifically in Atlanta. Now, the mayor is now proposing a $90 million budget to destroy this environment, but not only do that, but then put in it an entire neighborhood with nice homes, trees, houses, cars, family-style situations, stores, things like that, an actual city with no residents. This will be a training facility for APD to go in and train in police raids. Does that sound delusional to you? It fucking should. But the other issue with this that I have is the fact that there are people uh, forest preservationists that have been advocating for the dismantling of Cop City, the whole scrapping of the idea, police killed one of the forest preservation activists. And they didn't think, maybe maybe we should draw back, we should pull back a little bit, let's think about this guys, Let's should we build this? No, they have decided to move forward despite this murder, and I do call it a murder, because when somebody who's unarmed is killed, gunned down by police that are, meant to sworn, that are sworn to protect and serve them, when they are killed, it is a murder. He was murdered by one of these police officers, and they see no issue with this. Atlanta, what the actual fuck? What the actual fuck? Do we not understand how crazy it was during the pandemic to see police in tactical gear? Because that was the same year that we were watching people being gunned down and killed innocently across the nation. Black people. And now we have to once again worry about black people being displaced. The forest is being destroyed. Does no one care? Girlies. I'm Uh, sorry, y'all. I'm just... mm. I'm with you, Lena B. I feel like... First of all, no more money needs to go into the budget for the cops and for the police department. I feel like they need to figure out what the fuck they doing with their own shit and with what they already got and how they can make their situations better. Now, when it comes to this cop city situation and it comes to uh, the protester being killed... One, I would say, I you know, we all mourn the loss of lives, you know, and so um, definitely sorry that that happened. Um, the situation is, is that uh, this cop city is going to be just another catalyst for police brutality, mm-hmm. for, you know, police to, you know, curate this energy that, you know, to the public, they're doing these great things. But, you know, in reality, they're disproportionately attacking uh, black people specifically and, you know, brown people as well. And when you look at the involvement of a lot of these protesters, especially, you know, y'all protesting for, you know, the forestry, which we all should be because global warming is a thing and shit is happening. But this is where the disconnect falls and where it gets hard when we're trying to set shit in motion and we're trying to get things. Black people are not, you know, paying too much attention because first of all, this is not really being publicized, um, at least from not what I've been seeing um, and being in Atlanta. It's really not being talked about and a lot of people don't really even know what's going on. So that's one thing that it's not on black people's radar because I feel like this would be something that we would be protesting as well. But on this other avenue, 
avenue of, you know, now that um, white people and other people are getting involved in this movement, not necessarily because we see, you know, the misuse of funds within the police department, but because they're tearing down, you know, forestation and all of that. It's kind of crazy because y'all should be, you know, y'all should have been involved in this shit a long time ago, not just because they're trying to tear down forest preserves, but because they're continuously weaponizing themselves to um, go against and to, you know, be out here being ruthless and brutal to black and brown people. And once, you know, that shit is, you know, revved up or you know once they done doing what they doing the black community has been torn down so much where the fuck do y'all think that they're going to go next like somebody always has to be the bottom of the barrel and i feel like people are coming so to caucasians to whites to anybody that is not you know black and brown who are experiencing this you know brutality from the police don't look at this as just you know an opportunity to save the forest and you know to go green because the issue uh, and the fact that the matter is that it's bigger than that and if y'all trying to save global warming and y'all trying to you know protect the forest it's not just you know protecting on a this kind of level because global warming and deforestation is affecting black and brown people again at a higher and more disproportionate rate than it affects other people because i mean them simply just trying to tear down trees and get rid of the ecosystem i don't know if y'all knew but when Trump got into office, Trump decided to uh, pull back out of the Paris Agreements, or I believe it's called the Paris Treaties, yeah. um, for global warming, where the United Nations and all of the countries were banding together to do work and uh, work towards progressively getting rid of global warming. He pulled out of that, which we all know the U.S. and America is, you know, a big force. And so by us pulling out of that and um, global warming supposedly, you know, getting to this peak of turning things around in 2050 has been progressively pushed back. And when you think about the reality of it, a lot of people, um, I've been recently seeing Ted talks, a lot of black and Brown people are really suffering from, you know, these out of control, um, weather conditions where places that are hot are getting too hot and people can't afford to, you know, keep their air running or they can't afford to do things. So a lot of the older black and brown people who have been displaced, who do not have the money and the funds to, you know, keep their lights on, to keep their energy flowing, to keep their homes cool, you know, that foods are perishing or not having the ability to, you know, do food gardens and everything. This situation, it, the police brutality um, in combination with, you know, global warming and all that, it is a factor. And so when we're stepping up, we're not stepping up for one cause, but we're stepping up for multiple. But Atlanta, like y'all are supposed to be the black Mecca. What the fuck is going on, black mayor? Like, I, I, what? how do we get to a point where we, you know, can actively fight for this shit? Because it's like you say something, but nobody really cares. And I believe this actual, like the plot of land that they're going to destroy is actually like helping to divert floodwaters. So if this actual piece of land is destroyed, I understand why preservationists are very upset because if you're black, you know that Atlanta, especially the metro area, is majority a black area, especially mm-hmm. on the south side, the west end. That whole section, those are black people. So if you destroy a part of nature that is obviously helping to do a lot more than just be pretty, it's a providing an ecosystem, it's providing 
a divergent area for waters to go during flood times, where do you think they're going to divert that water to go? It's not hard to put two and two together. Two plus two does equal four every time for a reason. And unfortunately, people are not seeing it just as a black issue. They think that it's just, like you said, just about the forest and just about taking down trees, which it is. That's an issue. That's a problem. Global warming is real. But at the same time, it, you cannot avoid the fact that if these police are going to use this facility to train, to break into homes, and to practice raids, who do you think they're going to raid on mostly? Who do you think that they're going to target with these tactical uh, training purposes and all these new things that they're going to learn in Cop City? And also, my other issue is y'all have $90 million to build a fake city. And, like, if y'all are going to put real homes, real businesses, real fake shit how do y'all not have the money to at least house some people atlanta has a very high homeless population whether it's because people are mentally unwell because they're veterans that are displaced and they have nowhere else to go if it's people that just didn't have a home to be in in the first place and rent is too fucking high in this city and they got kicked out of their home that they've been living in for 20 plus years Y'all don't think that that $90 could have been used? If y'all had enough money to make these fake homes, why not build some real homes too? And we tell you this because we care. And we we tell you this because we want y'all to care as fucking well. So definitely get out there, do y'all research, and... If you have any more information on this, Cop City, the deforestation issues, if you have just something that you want to share, an issue that might be happening in your community that you don't think enough attention is going towards... Drop it in the comments. Maybe we'll mention it next episode. But. Period. Because we definitely want to get into current events and things that are really affecting us as black people, um, us as just people in general, shit, and, you know, make us more a little bit more aware. Because in this generation, I feel like a lot of us don't know a lot of things that are going on. So we definitely want to use this platform to be more positive and to shed more light on shit that's going on in the world that we feel like we all need to step up and take a part in. So... Get y'all shit together, girlies, and get active. Please. Yes. This Black History Month. Very much so. Peace out, Girl Scout.